Hey, this is Lee Snow. I'm the preacher of Orange Springs Road Church of Christ, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for downloading today. I hope it inspires you. I hope it builds your faith. I hope it gives you a perspective to see what God wants to do in your life, and I hope it challenges you to a faithful tomorrow. Now go ahead and open up to Galatians chapter 1 in your Bibles. Galatians chapter 1. I'll go ahead and tell you, I'm pretty excited right now. Um, Number one, we're starting the book of Galatians. We're going to be uh, studying through the book of Galatians for the rest of the year, actually. Um, But don't worry, we're going to break it up um, with a a month there in the middle where we won't be talking about it. But we're going to cover the book of Galatians throughout the rest of the year. And then I'm also excited because there are 11 sleeps until the best day of the year. 11 sleeps until August 15th. Do you all know what happens August 15th? Squirrel season starts. Anyways, 11 sleeps. It's August. In August, August is like my favorite month of the year. And then this year I've decided that September is going to be my least favorite month of the year. Because August, I get squirrel season and I get to go to polishing the pulpit. And then September, um, it'll be fun later on in the year, but like uh, later on in the month. But like the beginning, the first week of September is my least favorite month of the year. Because there's a day in there where I turned 29 the second time. And so I'm going to really be excited about August. That way I can be really mad when September comes. Okay, So we're going to study uh, the book of Galatians. We're going to start by studying verses 1 through 10 today. And then next week, of course, we'll cover 11 through uh, 24, the, first, the rest of the first chapter. So let's just read our text real quick uh, before we dive into it. Galatians chapter 1. Verse number one, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God our Father, God, our God and Father, sorry, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so say I now again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For I am now seeking the approval, for am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Galatians is an interesting book. It starts off different than any other book that Paul wrote in the New Testament. Usually, Paul has these long periods of the text where he, he sends greetings to this person or he talks about this person and he tells how he's doing and, and he talks about the, the, that he's praying for them. Like if you look at the book of Philippians, the first chapter of Philippians is a good example of that. Galatians is different. He, he kind of jumps right into the text. And... Um, and what happens in Galatians is different than most books. Making the book itself 
um, not only kind of a good follow-up to the book of Romans. You know, have you ever thought about why the books are like that in the Bible? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, First and Second, or uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Why, why they're in that order? Have you ever thought about that? Well, first off, it, it's pretty simple, relatively speaking. I mean, you have the, the gospel accounts are grouped together, and then Acts, the the, the book of history that shows how uh, the church of Jesus Christ started and how it was built and so forth. And then you get into the letters of Paul, and really and truly, the books of Paul are in decreasing length. It's the only reason why Romans is first, first and second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, so forth. They, they descend in length. But also, if you're reading through the New Testament, Galatians is a perfect book to be after Romans. Because Romans tells you what the gospel is. Galatians tells you what the gospel is not. Okay? In fact, um, if you were to ask some of the old, old theologians in history, um, Galatians was one of their favorite books. In fact, the, the theologian Martin Luther, who... I love Martin Luther, and I wish that I could have a conversation with Martin Luther, because he did something that paved the way for the, for the church of Jesus Christ to be able to thrive the way it has in starting the Reformation movement. Martin Luther, if, if you don't know that name, if it doesn't sound familiar, he's the man that, well, he was a Catholic priest, and he got upset with the Catholic Church because they were teaching all of these things that were blatantly false, and they were charging money for indulgences, which is the idea that if I'm going to sin, I can go to the priest, pay $5, and be absolved of whatever sin that I have done or will do. Which means, if you have a lot of money, you can pretty much get away with anything in God's eyes. If that were true, right? And so he had this problem with selling of indulgences and all these other issues. And so he took 95 arguments. We call it the 95 Theses. Theses is just a, here's what I have as a problem, okay? He took 95 arguments and nailed them to the door of the church there in Wittenborough. And basically said... You know, last week I told you the story about the guys downtown on July 4th that, were, that had their, their little set-up thing and they had their funny-looking shirts and all that stuff. And, and they said, we challenge any preacher to come up and talk to us. And I said, hi, my name's Lee. That's basically what Martin Luther did about 500 years ago. He nailed these things to the door and said, here's what I want to talk about. Here are my problems. I want somebody to be able to answer these for me. And that started the Reformation movement, which led people to look at the Catholic Church in a way that they had never looked at it before. That, that maybe, just maybe, the Catholic Church is fallible. Maybe it isn't what we thought it was for all these years. And then people started teaching and preaching and, and became Protestant. They were protesting the Catholic Church. And from them, their followers didn't do what the men wanted them to do in the first place. You see... The, refor the reformers wanted people, the re reformation preachers, wanted people to continue to look to the scriptures. Because they didn't have everything right either. Martin Luther absolutely did not have everything right. In fact, uh, my good friend Chris Wednesday night talked about this. Martin Luther hated the book of James because he couldn't figure out how the book of James and the book of Romans matched together. Because he didn't have enough time on earth to figure it out. But it was because of Martin Luther that couple hundred years after that, men, the, the culture of society had come to the point where men could start saying, 
Listen, what they started was amazing, but they didn't do it. They didn't go back to the Scriptures. They got close. They, they started the process, and then they stopped, and their followers just started following whatever they said. Luther's followers didn't do what Luther wanted them to, him to, Luther wanted them to do. They just, when Luther died, this is the truth. We'll just follow what Luther said. Luther didn't want that. And they started all these churches after these men's names like the Lutherans or the Methodists or the Episcopalians or, you know, all these different churches. And a few hundred years after that, people said, let's do what the Reformers really meant to do in the first place. And let's, let's go back to the text and find the real church, the true church. So I love Martin Luther. He had a lot of problems in his teaching, but that's because of where he was coming out of. I mean, you think about it. Think about when you were a new Christian, okay? Imagine if you have come out of a world of sin and the next Sunday someone stands up and says, all right, it's your turn to preach. I don't, uh, I don't know what I'm doing. I, 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 can, I can figure some stuff out, but that's basically what Martin Luther was doing. He was preaching himself through his own change, and he didn't live long enough to to see the result. But anyways, back to what Luther said about the book of Galatians. He said this, If it were possible to marry an epistle, Galatians would be my wife. That's a little strange, isn't it? He loved the book of Galatians. Because Galatians not only tells you what the gospel is, but it tells you what it isn't. And if you're going to know what something is, you have to see the falsehoods. Okay? Galatians is the book that led Martin Luther to take 95 arguments, write them on a piece of paper, and nail them to the church door. This book is different from every book in the New Testament. In fact, verse number 1 really points that out. Paul, an apostle, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. It's not even written to a singular church. It's not written like 1 Corinthians was written in order to fix all the problems in a local church. It's not written like Romans was written that's just this treatise on what justification means and what the gospel is and so forth. The book of Galatians was written to an area that was having some issues with trying to figure out what is the gospel, what is not the gospel, and how, what do we do about it, okay? So, let's just dive right in to our study. Galatians chapter 1. Let's, I want to look again at verse number 1 very quickly before we, before we go too far. Galatians 1. What happened here? My, my iPad messed up, sorry. There we go. Galatians 1. Paul an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised me. Not from men, nor through men. The word from there uh, gives this idea. uh, It's like in Galatians chapter 1 verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. The things that Paul was, was preaching were not the... Proclivities were not the ideals, were not the opinions of what man said. He's not preaching 
He's not preaching from men. Okay? The things that he taught are not just because it makes us feel good. The things that Paul taught were not just because that's the way we've always thought, or that's the way we've always believed, or that's the way we've always worshipped, or so forth. He changed this. He, he was preaching something that was from God. So it's, it's different than this next word that says, not from men nor through man. Not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ. Every preacher has, well, if you ask the, the religious world today, they'll use this term called received a call. Okay? And the reason why that is, is, is a number of different things. The reason why preachers become preachers, the reason why the people who are preaching in the New Testament times became preachers, was not necessarily because God spoke to them directly. I mean, there are a couple of those. We'll talk about that in just a second. But the reason why Timothy became a preacher was because Paul needed someone to go with him. Timothy understood the gospel. Timothy knew how to communicate that gospel. And so he went and did it. Okay? So he's, not, he's, he's a preacher that is through man. That he became a preacher through the teachings, the experience, through the encouragement of men. That's why every preacher on earth today is a preacher. Especially in the church. I mean, if you think about it, in any time, any time preachers are together, sometimes we'll, we'll start talking about how how'd you become a preacher. In fact, that's usually one of the icebreaker questions when we have preachers meetings and things and there's a bunch of preachers that we don't know. We'll say, okay, tell us your name, which church you're from, and... How'd you become a preacher? And every single time, it's, well, brother so-and-so encouraged me to do it, or I, I, was, I was a member at a church, I was baptized, and uh, our church didn't have any men that could, that could do it, and so I started reading and studying and learning, and eventually I realized that I needed to be doing it, and so I did it, and, and that was 42 years ago, and now I'm still a preacher, right? That's through men. But Paul says, I'm not a preacher through men. Paul didn't become a preacher like everyone else did in the first century and does today. Paul became a preacher because he had a one-on-one encounter with Jesus Christ. Who then said, Paul, you're going to become a preacher. And Paul could have said, I don't think so. And he would have said, that's nice. You're You're becoming a preacher. You don't have a choice. In fact, he even says that later on. Uh, in some of his other books, that, that it, is ob- it is his obligation to preach. That, that woe to him if he doesn't preach the gospel. means if he doesn't preach the gospel, he's going to hell. Now, we don't like using that word, but it's true. If Paul stops preaching the gospel, he goes to hell. Okay? So, he says, I, I'm an apostle not, not from men, and not through men. I didn't get this stuff from man. And I didn't learn how to be a preacher from man. I got this directly from the Creator, Jesus Christ. Now, if you go on, he says this in verse number 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to another gospel. Just jumps right in. Okay, So, he sets it up and says, the things I'm about to say are not from man. I didn't learn how to preach. 
I didn't get encouraged to preach from a man. This is, I'm different, and this book is different, and this problem you're going to deal with is not different at all. All right? This, this, This deserting that's happening in the churches of Galatia, in this area, are because, well, it's the same reason why churches give up today, okay? Now listen, I'm going to give you a little insight into, the, into what's happening here, but I don't want that to cloud how you look at the book of Galatians, okay? Galatians is written because there are preachers in the area of Galatia that are teaching people, if you want to go to heaven and you're a man, you have to be circumcised. That's all I'm going to say about that. If you don't know what that is, the forest will be available to answer questions after service. All right, so they had people that were telling them, if you want to go to heaven, you have to be circumcised. And Paul had a problem with that. Not necessarily because of the action that they're requiring, because of the principle behind the action. Okay? Don't allow the the here's what was going on to cloud your judgment when it comes to how can we apply this text, okay? Because nowadays, that's not something that a lot of people are preaching. But the concepts that led these people to start teaching that, I would say, happen in every church at one point or another. All right? So, Galatians chapter 1. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now they're doing it through the command that you must be circumcised. But it happens today in other ways. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you the, a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so say I now again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. The idea behind why they're preaching this is because they had come to the realization in their own minds from men not from God. They had come to the the opinion that if you want to go to heaven, it can't be as easy as Paul is making it out to be. That there has to be more. Now they looked to the Old Testament to find the more. But we do the same thing. And in the world today, there are entire religious movements that are based around the idea that Paul talks about in this passage. In fact, it doesn't happen very often anymore, as much anymore, depending on where you live. But you have all been at your house at one point or another, and been sitting in the living room watching Oprah and drinking sweet tea or whatever you do on a Saturday afternoon. And two nicely dressed young women walk up to the door 
knock on it. Say, I'm sister so-and-so, and I'm sister so-and-so. We're here from the kingdom hall. We just wanted to talk to you about whether or not you knew who Jesus was. Or, you're sitting in your living room, or you're walking around your neighborhood, and two young men, about the age of uh, 18 to 24, because that's how old they have to be in order to do this, between the ages of 18 and 24, ride up to you on some bikes, or they get out of a nice silver sedan. They're all silver, by the way. They're wearing white shirts, short sleeve most of the time, because they're usually doing it in the summertime. They have a little name tag, and they say, I'm Elder so-and-so, and I'm Elder so-and-so. We're here from the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and we'd like to talk to you for a second, if you have a second. Paul says, even though an angel, even if an angel from heaven were to come to you and preach to you another gospel, that angel is going to be accursed. Both of those religious movements, both Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormonism, were started by this concept. That an angel came to someone, spoke to them. And the fact of the matter is, is that the reason why some passages are written in Scripture is because God knows everything and He knows how mankind's going to work out for the rest of eternity. So sometimes He puts stuff in there that won't come about for thousands of years. Or about 1,700 years in the case of those two instances. Now these, these, these concepts don't just have to come from angels. In fact... He says that even if we or an angel from heaven, what if what would happen if Paul started teaching and preaching something that was different from the gospel that he had originally been preaching? We'll talk about how to tell what's different here in just a second. But what happens if Paul starts preaching something that's different? Paul says, I I, I need to be accursed. I don't need to be talked to. I need to be set apart for destruction. In fact, the word there means set apart for the destruction. It's the same word that's used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to talk about uh, cities like Sodom and Gomorrah, like Jericho. The cities that were set apart for destruction. He says, if if I'm doing this or if an angel comes, we need to be completely and utterly forgotten about. Leave us alone. If, if I start preaching something that is a different gospel, leave me alone. Don't talk to me. Don't listen to me. Don't study with me. Don't do anything with me. Leave me alone. Leave me out in the desert to be destroyed like Sodom and Gomorrah and like Jericho. If it's an angel, do the same thing. Leave them alone. Leave them out in the desert. Leave them. Don't listen. Don't pay attention to. Don't do anything. In fact, there's another group that supposedly came from an angel. And this group is actually the group that you can trace back to these people. If you want to write out in your margin of your Bible, the the people that we're talking about are these people called Judaizers. Judaizers were wanting people to go back to the Old Testament because it had to be harder than what Paul is teaching. Those Judaizers would eventually become what Paul just said. They would become anathema. They would become rejected. They'd be set apart in the desert and left to 
to do their own thing because they don't understand the gospel, they're not preaching the gospel, and so forth. They would be set apart in the desert. They would live out there amongst their communities. Their communities would grow and grow and grow. They would keep their religion that they had made up that was from man. And about 600 years after that, one man who was illiterate would rise up amongst this community that had been set apart in the desert because they didn't know the gospel and they weren't preaching the gospel. One man would be set apart. He'd rise up. He'd say that an angel came to him. He'd say that he went to heaven. And he would write down the religion that his people had taken from Christianity and had molded into what they wanted. And he would call it submission to God. Which is the Arabic word Islam. These people that Paul is talking about that are causing problems in the churches of Galatia, 600 years later, started calling themselves Muslims. The people that we deal with in America and over the world that believe in Islam and follow Islam, they're the same people that Paul's dealing with right here. Okay? So Paul is not ignorant. He's preaching from inspiration. Now, If we're going to figure out how to do this, if we're going to know how to set them apart for destruction, first, we've got to figure out what is a false gospel. So, how to identify the false gospel? Well, I think verse number four mainly is going to give us the answer. Now, I'm going to read verse number four in the Christian Standard Bible because it's it's interesting. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age... The gospel is all about who we were. If you're not lost in your sins, you don't need the gospel. Right? Shake your head like this. If you have no sins, you don't need the gospel. If you've never sinned, if you don't fall into the category of Romans 3, 23, and 24, you don't need the gospel. That's why entire population groups don't need the gospel. People that don't even know what a sin is. Because they can't rationalize it in their mind, either because they're too young or their minds aren't right. They can't work that out in their minds. Anyways, the gospel is about who we were. Number two, the gospel is about what Jesus did. Galatians chapter 4, back in the ESV, says this, "...who gave himself for our sins to deliver us." Jesus did exactly what we needed him to do. He substituted himself on the cross for our sins. He became the ransom. He paid our debt. Okay? Now, I, wa- I, want you to, I want you to listen to me very quickly because this is something that causes the false gospels to happen even amongst the church. Jesus paid everything you needed Him to pay. He did everything. Okay? Now, when the religious world says that, they're going to go on and say something else. We'll talk about that in just a second. But do not be scared to understand that Jesus paid every single penny that you owed. Okay? He paid for everything. He did everything you needed for salvation. He finished the work. He did it. Everything that you needed was done. Number three, the gospel is about what the Father did. Back to Galatians chapter 1. Not from men or through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Him from the dead. Jesus paid the price for everything that we needed Him to pay for. He finished the work. He did everything we needed Him to do. We had a job that we had to do that we couldn't do. He did it. We had a debt that we 
that we had that we couldn't pay, He paid it. Then God raised Him from the dead. It wasn't just Jesus. It was the entire Godhead. This, this was an action from the Creator, the Godhead, God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, to redeem us, to bring us back. That's what the Gospel is. Okay? We were dead. He died. God raised Him from the dead. And because of that, our sins were paid for. That's the Gospel. Now, the question is, why did He do it? Galatians chapter 4 answers that question too. It says that it was according to His will. It was according to His will. Why did God do that? Why did God pay our debt? Why did He do everything we needed Him to do to receive salvation? Because He created us and we messed it up. And if it wasn't Adam and Eve, don't worry, it would have gotten along. And if all of y'all could have done it perfectly, I would have messed it up for everybody. But the, the, the gospel, the point of the gospel is you couldn't have done it for yourself. You could not have lived a life that was without sin. Even if Adam and Eve had not sinned, you couldn't have done it. Because God built within you the choice. And He built within you a choice that only He can choose. Okay? When He built you in His image, when He created you in His image, He gave you the choice of right from wrong. Right? Shake your head like this. He gave you the choice from right from wrong. Now, the problem is, you don't know everything that God knows. You can't see everything that God sees. In fact, the latter half of the book of Job is just that. When God has the conversation with Job, Job says, why did you do this? And God says, you aren't big enough to know why I did this. You don't have it in you, Job. He gave you the choice that only He could make. Knowing that you were not going to make the right choice. He gave you the choice of right from wrong. Knowing that you don't know enough to make that choice. Because this was the purpose the entire time. This was His will. He knew we were going to mess it up. And He did it so that we would mess it up. So that 2,000 years after, well, about 4,000 years, after we messed it up, Jesus would come. And about 2,000 years after Jesus came, we would be sitting right here. Everything we have ever experienced on earth is because of the will of God. That's the gospel. Now, in order to find out the, the fake gospels, we need to figure out how we do this. Because no one, relatively no one, on earth is trying to say that we need to go back to the Old Testament for salvation. There are some that try to use the Old Testament for justification and different things, right? I mean, you have a conversation with a person who's in the religious world and you say, they, they ask you the question, why do we not use instruments on Sundays? And you say, well, because the New Testament Christians never use instruments on Sundays. I hope you can answer that question, by the way. If you don't know why we don't use instruments, there's a problem. If you're a member of the church and you can't answer that question, there's a problem. But anyways, someone asks you, why don't you use instruments? And you say, well, the New, New Testament Christians didn't use them. And so we don't use them. It's the easiest answer ever. It's not because, well, we, we, we did all this study and we realized it. It's just, it's pretty basic. Push it off on somebody else. They didn't do it, so we don't do it. And they say, well, they did in the Old Testament. See, there are people that try to use the Old Testament for justification. We'll talk about that when we get to chapter 3. 
But that's not the only way that you can believe a false gospel. In essence, you believe a false gospel, number one, when we make something else besides obedience of faith. That comes from this passage, Romans chapter, well, I didn't put it up there. Romans chapter 16, verse 25, says that the preaching was to bring about the obedience of faith. We start believing a false gospel when we make something else besides the obedience of faith necessary for salvation. When we turn the gospel into what we like. When we say, in fact, I I made a joke this past week. I was talking to a a preacher for um, a denominational body here in town. And we were sitting there talking. and, and, um, And he said, you know... I have a question. There are a lot of different kinds of churches of Christ. I said, yeah, there are, sadly. Uh, Christians don't always act like Christians sometimes. And, um, And he said, you know, some of them are, some of the differences are kind of sad. And I said, what are you talking about? And, he, and I knew, it, it seemed as though he was thinking about something that wasn't just from our conversations, right? And he said, well, I was talking to another one of y'all. That's how, they, that's how they talk. I was talking to another one of y'all that meant another preacher for the churches of Christ a couple months ago. And he said that blank church, I'm not going to say the name of the congregation, he said that blank church is liberal because they have a steeple. And I said, well, that's interesting. I can't find anything about scripture about a steeple in Scripture. And he said, they won't even do anything with that church because they have a steeple. It doesn't seem like y'all are very united. And I said, well, to be honest with you, we're not. We should be, but Christians don't always act like Christians sometimes. That's this. When you make something else besides the obedience of faith, when you turn your proclivities, when you turn your opinions... When you turn what you like into whether or not you will fellowship with another Christian, you have started believing a false gospel. When what you like starts to break down the wall of unity in the church of Jesus Christ, because someone else doesn't necessarily like that, you have started believing a false gospel. There are enough commands, there is enough in, God, in, the, in the Scriptures, in the New Testament, for us to worry about, to have to worry about whether or not someone has a, a steeple. I, I heard of another church this past week, in fact, that I, I've, I've, I'm hoping to get to, to meet the preacher there um, later this month at Polishing the Pulpit. I, I don't know if he's going, but I'm hoping he is. Um, I'm going to find him if he is. There's a church that in Tennessee that They've started, they've started a church plant, and it's going really well, and people are obeying the gospel. They've had 30 or 40 obey the gospel in the last year. But the churches around them don't want to have anything to do with them. They worship faithfully, but when they come together to worship, they don't sit in pews, and they don't sit on chairs. Well, what are the other options? They sit on little beanbags everywhere? No. They have tables. They have a large... They've rented a large area that's a, that's a reception hall. And they use the tables of the reception hall and everybody sits around a table. 
There's ten tables for each, each, uh, ten seats for each table. And they sit around tables and they worship together and so forth. And the churches don't want to have anything to do with them. When we turn something else into salvation that isn't the obedience of faith, when we make our own opinions break down the wall of unity, we've started obeying a false gospel. And Paul says if we believe a false gospel, we need to be set out in the wilderness, in the desert, and left to rot. Let it be anathema. Number two, we do it when we take the obedience of faith away from salvation. I heard one person say this, that the false gospels come in two different options, religious and irreligious. What he meant by that is this, a religious false gospel is, you need to do this in order to be in fellowship with us, and that this doesn't have anything to do with what the New Testament taught. Like the things we just talked about, but it could, it could even be more than that. It could be, uh, I'm going to use a historical argument because it doesn't really happen anymore, and I'm glad because I are one. Uh, but back in the 60s, there used to be a thing in the church where if you had one of these, you couldn't serve on the Lord's Supper because one of these meant you were a hippie. Now, they had problems with 1 Corinthians and, and meeting with the culture, and I, I completely understand that. But then you also start believing a false gospel when you take away the obedience of faith from, the, from salvation. When, when being a good person is the delineating factor of whether or not you will go to heaven, you've started believing a false gospel. It doesn't matter if they obey the faith. Doesn't matter if they have the obedience of faith, like Romans says, the, the reason for preaching is for the obedience of faith. Doesn't matter if they have that, they're a good person. And so chances are they'll probably be okay on Judgment Day, because I mean, I never met a guy that would give his shirt off his back quicker than X person. I mean, he doesn't even believe in Jesus Christ at all, but if your car's stuck in the ditch, he'll pull you out. He's a good guy. When you take away the obedience of faith or you add something to the obedience of faith, you've started believing a false gospel. Number three, essentially, we do it when we make ourselves the means for the gospel, for salvation. When what I want or how I feel or what makes me feel comfortable or what makes me feel uncomfortable, when those things then result in that person is saved or not. We've started believing a false gospel. And Paul says we need to be kicked out and put out in the desert and left to rot like Jericho, like Sodom and Gomorrah. We need to be anathema because we have turned ourselves into the means of the gospel. What I like, what I want, how I feel, that can never be, that can never be the justification for whether or not someone is saved. Now, very quickly, I want to look at verse number 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Number one, if you're going to, if you're going to have the wherewithal to, to set those people aside, let them be accursed. If you're going to have that ability, 
Number one, you need to know what a false gospel is. Okay? How you feel doesn't matter. I, I, I know that we live in a world where we always want to ask people how they feel, and I, I agree with that. People, we need to start thinking about how people feel sometimes. Okay? We need to, we need to, we need to pay attention to what we do that causes other people emotional pain. But when it comes to whether or not you're saved, it has nothing to do with how you feel. It has to do with are you living a life that is characterized by the obedience of faith. But also, we need to start fighting for the gospel. We need to start paying attention to when those false gospels come up. And instead of saying, well, you know... Well, you know, they they taught us something back in school. When you're counseling someone, the best word you can ever use is, well, well, my daddy never really loved me. Well, we need to start, stop using that. We need to stop using that when it comes to false gospels. I've had this conversation in the last year or so, but you ever heard, the word conservative when it comes to the church. I'm talking to you that are members of the body of Christ today, okay? If you're not a Christian yet, just tune out for a second. Have you ever heard the word conservative when it's talked about with reference to the church? The word conservative means you go by the traditions. There is nothing wrong with traditions. We have a tradition. We've, In fact, we've... we've gone through a lot of traditions this morning. The fact that we took the Lord's Supper before the sermon, the fact that we did the giving after the sermon, so forth and so on. We, we have traditions that we meet on Wednesday nights. We have tradi- traditions are not bad. Traditions are not bad. However, when you're looking for a congregation, if you're visiting with us and you're a member of the body of Christ or you're going on a, on a trip and you're looking for a conservative church, be very careful. It doesn't matter if they're conservative or not. It doesn't matter if they meet traditions or not. It matters, are they sound? Do they have the obedience of faith? Because traditions change. If you were to go right now, leave this service, and fly to Tanzania, Africa, where, where Wes used to work, and you were to go to that church in Arusha, their worship would be very similar, but the traditions might not be there. If you were to go from services today here at Warm Springs Road, and you were to fly all the way to a church where a very good friend of mine preaches in West Visalia, California, the traditions would not be there. Because you're going to walk in, and they're all going to be wearing shorts and flip-flops. Bunch of liberals. Anyway, no. Um, They're all going to be wearing shorts and flip-flops. You, you go from here to a church in Nashville, they're all going to be meeting around tables instead of pews. We need to fight for the real gospel. Christians need to stop fighting with each other over ridiculous things. Stop fighting over false gospels and start fighting the false gospels. If it makes you into the, delin- the determining factor of whether or not someone is saved, it's a false gospel. And it will always be a false gospel. The only way to determine 
what is a true gospel is does it push me to the obedience of faith? Not does it fit my ideas? Does it make me feel good? Because you know that's the exact same thing that's happening in Galatia. Those people grew up under Judaism. And it makes them feel strange when they go to worship services with people who aren't circumcised. Don't ask, ask for us how they would know that. I don't know, I don't know how they would know that. I think worship services may be a little different than what we used to do. Anyways, this false gospel was not because they had found the truth somewhere else. It's simply because they, they were pushing something that made them feel comfortable. And Paul says, if you're doing that, if you're preaching a false gospel, you're believing a false gospel, you need to be put outside in the desert and left. Because you're not helping people get to heaven. If you want to become a Christian, it has nothing to do with traditions. The reason why we teach baptism for the salvation of sins is not because of traditions. It's because of the obedience of faith. Paul, in the same book where he wrote that his preaching was meant to bring about the obedience of faith, would also write that we're baptized into Christ, that we're raised from the dead to walk a newness of life, and that without that, we are accursed. That we're the same as the people that are believing a false gospel. And if you want to become a Christian, we're going to stand. Gary's going to lead us in song. That's 